From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of LPL Market Signals. Jeff Bookbinder, your host for this week, with my friend and colleague, Lawrence Gillum. Lawrence, how are you today? Oh, I'm doing great, Jeff. It's a, a beautiful spring day here in Fort Mill, South Carolina. So, sunny in 70, so things are good here. Well, don't rub it in. Uh, it's the Boston Marathon Day here in Boston, Patriots Day, and it is rainy and in the 50s. So good weather for runners, uh, but not uh, for the rest of us who do everything we can to not run. <laughs> so uh, thanks for joining this week. Let's get right into our agenda here. It's a, it's a busy one. We'll give you a lot uh, of content here in the next 30 minutes. We've got a market recap, as we always have. Market's really defying the skeptics. I would say, um, you know, S&P 500 up four or five weeks. I think the Dow actually is up, uh, might be up uh, five weeks in a row. Um, and then earnings season update. It's a really good start to earnings. It really only started on Friday, but a really good start. Commercial real estate, uh, a lot of people are asking, is that the next shoe to drop? So we'll, we won't necessarily make a call on that, but we'll give you some numbers uh, to consider. Uh, and as you um, evaluate that situation. Uh, so Lawrence, you're a fixed income strategist, so it makes sense for you to handle the next one, bond market update, uh, volatility subsiding. I've actually been surprised at how meaningful the bond market is to equity analysis. And so certainly our worlds uh, have been colliding and uh, they are no doubt going to collide again here when you talk about uh, bond market volatility. And then lastly, as we always do, we'll preview the weekly calendar, which is quite quiet. So uh, starting with the market recap, here's the S&P. Um, we were up a little bit. It wasn't a big game, but we were up a little bit on the S&P. And, um, you know, continuing this pattern we've been talking about over the past few weeks of at least higher lows. Um, you know, we haven't broken through the recent resistance level at 4,200 yet, but we're getting pretty close kind of in that um you know, 4130, 4140 range as we're recording this. It's Monday afternoon, April 17th, uh, 2023. So um, you know, Lawrence, what do you attribute the um the resilience to? I mean, um I guess part of it is maybe an anticipating earnings season might be better than feared. Um, you know, we had the inflation data last week that was better than expected, although expect um inflation expectations based on the survey data, uh, have actually gone up a little bit as oil prices have gone up. What do you think is really at work here? Yeah, I think there's a, there's a lot of negativity in the market right now. So anything that's less negative than what markets are expecting certainly could help uh, push prices up. You know, you mentioned earlier about our world's colliding a lot. If you look at October, October is when the 10-year Treasury yield peaked at around 425. Since then, we've seen a pretty big move lower in yield. So that certainly helps uh, equity prices and the discounting of cash flows. So it's been a it's been a resilient market, but I don't think it's outside of the realm of expectations. Yeah, I think that's right. Actually, the um, you know there's this statistic. I don't I don't look at this this closely, but um, I've been seeing it passed around a lot about the commitment of traders on the futures. S and P 500 futures are showing as much bearishness as we've seen since 2007. This is essentially a net bearish position of, of over 14%. So there is a lot of bearishness out there. I and mean, you can see it in reading the financial media. Uh, so, you know, the news doesn't have to be 
necessarily all that positive, uh, just just better than feared. So we're certainly seeing some of that. I mean, maybe some people are also paying attention to the fact that, you know, we're just coming off of two positive quarters. Um, you know, in particular, Q1, when you have a positive Q1, that tends to mean good things for the rest of the year. Uh, I've got a stat uh, from uh, Bespoke Investment Group here. When you have a positive Q1, the rest of the year gain on average is 8.9%. So we would certainly take that. That would be a mid-teens uh, gain for the year. And then when you have back-to-back 5% gains, which we had in Q4 and Q1, uh, that's happened, um, I think, 25 times in the post-World War II era. And you've been up 23 times. Average gain 8.2% in the subsequent two quarters. Um, so there you go. There's some real interesting, I mean, it's technical patterns, I guess, but I think interesting and uh, points toward, uh, you know, maybe this market having more upside, even um, even though there's a lot of nervousness out there. Uh, in terms of what worked uh, last week, I mean, it was, it was more of a value week um, and maybe more of a global week than a U.S. week, as you can see here. So looking at, you know, S&P up, I mentioned not a big positive week, but up 0.8%. Uh, you had the um, the Dow do a little bit better because it was more of a value-oriented week. The NASDAQ, not quite uh, as strong, uh, although the NASDAQ, I think, is up seven out of nine weeks. So been a nice run there. Uh, you know, globally, we had nice gains in Europe. That can, That's certainly partly because of the weaker dollar. Uh, yeah, it's nice gains in Japan. Japan's been getting a lot of attention lately because of the central bank leadership transition over there. Uh, and then in um, U.S. sector land, it was energy uh, and financials at the top of the leaderboard. Energy certainly getting help from a rally in oil. Financials getting help from strong bank res results on Friday. Uh, anything you want to highlight here, Lawrence? Yeah, I think what's particularly interesting in, in something that we talk a lot about in our investment committee meeting is just the U.S. versus non-U.S. Uh, performance and, and allocations. You know, the the, the non-U.S. parts of the world, the EFA index and the emerging market indexes are both up, you know, pretty decently over the past, say, three months, uh, and certainly over the past six months. Uh, we've been favoring U.S. and then the non-U.S. developed. Um, so I, I think our our, our Biases towards those developed uh, markets are are you know paying off in terms of our allocations, but it's been a good year, frankly, globally for a lot of these equity markets. Yeah, we're not worry warts, but if there's any place to be worried, it's probably Asia, and um, you know China in particular, given what's going on there with geopolitical tensions. So uh, we've been cautious in emerging markets, although those markets have actually done done just fine. That doesn't mean there's not risk there. But uh, absolutely, uh, Lawrence, favoring Europe and Japan over uh, emerging markets, particularly Asian uh, emerging markets. Latin America looks a little bit more uh, interesting, but we're we're still just slightly leaning toward U.S. Um, over developed international. And then within the sectors, we continue to like industrials. Um, this is uh, more your world, Lawrence. So um, I'll, I'll hand it over to you for the bonds. But uh, you know, on the commodity side. We didn't get any gains out of precious metals. Um, you can see from this index here last week, but you know, generally speaking, uh, the the uh, precious metals have actually been doing pretty well. Uh, interest rates coming down a bit, and um, and the dollar coming down. That tends to be a good 
environment for uh, precious metals related investments. And then on the energy side, yeah, I mentioned a little bit of a bounce there. Uh, certainly a, a weaker dollar helps commodities in addition to uh, other non-dollar investments. Turning to the bond side, I mean, we've had this little bit of a creep higher in rates uh, over the last week, Lawrence. Uh, do you think that that move has has more to go or would you expect uh, interest rates to kind of settle in here? Yeah, I think we've, I mean, we've been in a range in the U.S. rates market for for a few months now. We have seen rates move up a little bit higher or a little higher today uh, with the expectation of maybe a higher for longer Fed, which I'm sure we'll talk about later on, but uh, nothing nothing too dramatic in terms of moves. Again, we'll talk about this later as well, that the, that the bond markets are really starting to calm down. Volatility is starting to calm down, which after a, a year that we experienced last year, we we're certainly welcoming a, a, a boring bond market again. Uh, if we can, if we can continue to see that, that would be great for investors. Just so uh, you know, a couple of key takeaways here over the past six months. You know, the AG is up six point four percent, which I, I think a lot of investors wouldn't realize that the, the bond market, the high quality fixed income market, is up over six percent over the last six months. Investment grade corporates up over nine percent. You know, high yield even over uh, over eight point five percent. So, uh, you know, decent longer term returns for for fixed income investors. Our bias has been to stay up in quality. So, aggregate bond index type strategies, treasury uh, strategies, mortgage backed securities, uh, et cetera. We're we're not really taking on a lot of fixed income risk right now. We're, we're taking most of our our risk in the equity markets. We're not taking we're not taking a lot of risk. Period. Given the uncertain environment, but. Uh, where we are taking risk, it is on the equity side. So we've been up in quality on the fixed income side, and you know, so far so good with uh, with, with the performance this year. You know, bonds working, stocks working, stocks internationally working, as well as domestic. Um, you know, this has definitely been a year for uh, diversification. After last year, uh, certainly diversification was punished. Uh, so thanks for those uh, thoughts, Lauren. So let's turn to a quick earnings update. Um, you know, last quarter, we were talking about better than feared over and over again, right? And this quarter, um, in our weekly commentary last week, uh, which you can find on LPL.com, I said it would be deja vu all over again, and we get, you know, not so great numbers, um, you know, estimates would be cut, and then you'd have, you know, stocks rally on that, right? You'd have potentially better than feared. Uh, so it's probably going to be that again. In fact, actually, it's it's even been a little bit better than that so far. But just you know, to sort of share some perspective on this, we've had 30 companies in the S&P 500 report, and most of those, of course, were um, through the um, you know the February month end rather than March month end. So it's 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 a very small number of companies here, but we're off to an excellent start. Um, you know, the consensus was calling for about a seven percent decline in earnings in Q1 coming into this period of you know the most recent batch of earnings and now we're already you know basically taking a percent off of that and now we're tracking it down six it's still down we're still probably going to have three quarters in a row of down earnings but again better than feared we've had 90 percent of the companies in the s p that have reported beat estimates uh we have had an upside surprise on average of eight percent certainly um the big banks were a big part of that um, actually, for the financial sector, the average upside surprise has been 15%, which is a really big number. And estimates overall have not come down much. Again, very, very early, but 
um, off to a good start. We're not saying earnings are necessarily going to drive the market higher, but given the pessimism, uh, they certainly could be uh, helpful here as we hopefully can get the SP 500 up to, uh, you know, 4,200, which is the next, next resistance level. So let's talk commercial real estate here, Lawrence, next. Um, and, uh, you know, I think this is probably the hottest topic uh, in terms of what people are asking us. The banking fears have sort of died down, right? It looks like we're not going to get another meaningful institution fail on us like the Silicon Valley Bank. Maybe you'll have tiny banks uh, fail, but that pretty much always happens. They don't get a lot of headlines, but but that that's a pretty regular occurrence. So people are looking at commercial real estate because of the whole work from home thing and you know empty offices in a lot of downtowns across America. So um, so Adam Turnquist from our team uh, put together some charts and wrote the weekly market commentary this week uh, on this topic, and I think it's it's really interesting. Um, so we got four charts on this. So office REITs, office REITs are down. This is the Office REIT Real Estate Investment Trust uh, Index within the Russell 3000 while vacancies rise. So you've seen, I mean, it's no surprise that um, you're seeing higher office vacancies, I guess, Lawrence, and it's certainly not a big surprise that these securities are seeing declines, right? Given what we all know, I mean, you know, I go downtown in Boston on occasion. It's pretty easy to see. In fact, the next chart on here, you'll see the um, the back to work. You only got about 50% of folks back in the office. And certainly the pandemic is largely passed. So um, creates a challenge for, for um, office-based real estate. I guess one, one takeaway for me, and then I'll hand it over to you, Lawrence, or at least something for folks to keep in mind. The office market is only about 8% of the total real estate market, okay? And these, you know, the cities where people commute downtown, where you have big office buildings, I'm certainly in one of those in Boston, that's that's a big piece of the real estate market, but it's when you, you know, put it all together and, and um, you know, compare all the different components of the real estate market, these big downtowns, the offices in these big downtowns and big cities, they're really not that big of a deal. They might be a big deal to an individual company or a small set of companies, but it's really not that big. And there's not a ton of leverage like we had in 2008 against these buildings. So frankly, I would argue that it's probably not the next big shoe to drop, um, but uh, certainly it's going to take some time for these long leases to roll through. What do you think, Lawrence? Yeah, my, I think that, my, that last comment was the, the important one. It is going to take time for these these leases or these contracts to come due and and refinance at these uh, potentially higher higher rates. But this isn't going to be a, a next quarter thing or a next six month thing. This could be a next few year type of thing, uh, depending on kind of how these this work from home dynamic evolves. You know, we've, we've started to hear some you know, big finance chiefs out there call all their workers back into the office full time. So if, if that uh, trend or pattern reverses itself, or, you know, certainly here at LPL, we are allowed to work remotely, come into the office as, as much as we need to. So we haven't heard anything from our, um, you know, our, our leadership that we need to come back into the office. But I think like JP Morgan may, and perhaps Goldman, they, they called a lot of their workers back into the office full time. So a lot can play out over the next couple of years. So what we're seeing now may not be as 
bad or as dramatic um, when these leases or these contracts come due? Yeah, the LPL Boston office lease came due, and so uh, we are moving. Um, you know, that's going to happen over the next several years as companies' leases come up and they move, take less space, which certainly um, uh, LPL is doing in, in Boston. So th that's happening everywhere, uh, certainly, uh, but you'll probably see more folks come back over time. It's just going to be very gradual, and the hybrid thing is here to stay. Um, you know, the reason this is tied, of course, to the the whole uh, banking, it's not a crisis really in my view, but this whole um, bank stress issue, because um, you know now that we're maybe comfortable with the treasury securities on bank balance sheets, which which I guess fundamentally is really what um, doomed Silicon Valley Bank, uh, we're looking at other risks, right? And so commercial real estate is certainly another risk for these banks. And if you look at the small banks, this is this is what this chart shows. You know, over half of small bank balance sheets are commercial real estate. That that is big. So, um, you know, I think the weakness that we've seen in regional banks probably justified, given the potential weakness in commercial real estate. However, I mean, this is spread all over the country, right? And so, you know, this is not necessarily where you have the big empty office buildings. That's maybe one point. Um, and it's also, I think, helpful that rates have come down a little bit. Right, Lawrence? Maybe kind of short up these balance sheets. So we're going to see some losses in commercial real estate. We just mentioned it's going to be slow. It is going to affect regional banks. In fact, this, this issue caused us uh, in LPL research to take down our small cap exposure broadly and shift a little bit more towards large caps. We think that makes sense in a period of tighter financial conditions where you've got weakness in banks, uh, smaller banks in particular, makes sense to be a little more, a little bit more large cap, high quality focused, kind of like what Lawrence, you were just uh, talking about with the bond market. Yeah. And I think your point earlier about the office market is only a, a small part of the commercial real estate market. There are hotels and restaurants and other parts that maybe aren't seeing the, the you know pressures that the office market is. So uh, just because these small banks have a lot of commercial real estate on their balance sheet doesn't mean that they're all going to be stressed, uh, right? So, um, but this is going to take some time to to work itself out, and there will be some winners and losers. And and um, to to your point, Jeff, we did just take down our small cap exposure. We've taken down our high yield exposure, which tends to be dominated by small cap issuers. So, uh, there are ways to be defensive in this environment, uh, and and that's certainly what we're doing. Yeah, still, still slightly overweight equities, um, and taking a little bit, um, you know, out of our, um, you know, cash and bond allocations. Not a lot, but um, you know, stocks in general still look pretty good to us. So, um, you know, this last chart is um, taking a look at delinquencies by segment, right? I mean, when when do you have to worry about real estate? You have to worry about real estate when tenants aren't paying their bills. So. This looks at all these different segments and the percentage of um, of these um, loans that are delinquent, right? Essentially, so I probably should have let you set this up, Lawrence. Being a bond guy, you're probably better at looking at delinquencies than I am. Um, and you, you know, you see here the biggest segment um, of this pie chart is retail anchored, right? So you're seeing 34 percent of retail um, properties 
are seeing delinquencies of more than three months, right? So somebody's somebody's three months plus late. Um, you know, there's certainly a lot more retail nationally than these big empty office buildings, <laughs> right? Um, that are in big downtowns and in major metropolitan areas. So I think that's the first thing that jumps out at you. And it's actually, I mean, it's it's double the, the size, Lawrence, of, of these other segments, including office, right? Which is 15%. So office tenants are generally paying, right? I mean, that's not a bad number. It's not great, but it's not, not an awful number. Uh, to have 85% sort of current. Um, what what else would you um would you take away from from this slide? I mean, is is retail in trouble or is this kind of comforting that it's diversified and you have you know some areas that aren't so bad, kind of offsetting the areas uh that are more challenged? Yeah, I mean this certainly doesn't show kind of the, the bigger picture about how long or or the trend in these delinquencies, right? So I mean we could see that 35% of, of retail uh, of all the delinquencies, 35% of those are coming from the retail uh, part of the of the commercial real estate market. I mean, I don't know if that's up or down from you know, a year ago, because I mean, you could you really argue that retail and for the last few years has been under a lot of pressure as more shoppers shop online versus go to these brick and mortar uh, stores. So, um, you know, there's always going to be delinquencies. That's just the way the, the the market works. You know, I don't think it's it's necessarily alarming to see a diversified basket of, of properties here that are delinquent. Um, but to your point, office is only about 15% of current delinquencies. Could that get go higher? Sure. Uh, but right now, we don't think that this is going to be, your, to your comment earlier, we don't think this is kind of the next shoe to drop, uh, particularly the fact that it's going to take, like we said earlier, years to, to work itself out. Yeah, it's, it's maybe yet to be determined, but, you know, based on, uh, you know, your look at the credit markets and what you've been sharing with our investment committee is this is not some sort of building stress that's going to just, um, you know, implode on us and and really drive um, a, a nasty recession. We're we're still in the camp that says, you know, we've got some challenges here, a number of them, and that's why the economy is probably going to shrink a little bit uh, or, you know, over the next several quarters, maybe, but 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 not much, kind of a mild, short-lived um recession so um let's move on to our next topic lawrence this will be all you you don't want me talking about bonds um bond volatility subsides i mean i i guess it's related to the fed right you know i'm sure there are other factors too but we have you know we're really close potentially to the end of the rate hiking cycle and so that's right and, and that's and the people agree that's the on takeaway. that right that's so right. people generally agree that that's the case and so Maybe it makes sense that you wouldn't have as much uh, volatility there. Yep. And that's exactly the takeaway is that over the last, say, 12 months, the Fed has been hiking aggressively. We know that. Uh, but the bond markets, are they still believe that the Fed is going to get the job done. Uh, and we won't spend a lot of time on these, these next three charts. I think it's the totality of these charts. Uh, in fact, it's, it's not an individual chart per se, but this first chart we're looking at is just the market implied inflation expectations. So what markets are pricing in. Uh, or what or what markets are expecting inflation will average over the life of these these various centers here. And you can see that they've really kind of calmed down a lot recently and and markets still expect the Fed to get that those inflation rates back to around two percent uh, in relatively short order. So you know the the fact that the the Fed is hiking aggressively, 
to maintain or to make sure inflation expectations don't become unanchored. You know, this is one chart suggesting that uh, inflation expectations haven't become unanchored, at least uh, it, as, as far as this bond market or segment of the bond market is, is telling us. The next chart, again, this doesn't mean a lot uh, in isolation, but you know, this, these are your high yield option adjusted spread. So the additional compensation for owning riskier segments of the fixed income markets. High yield spreads are again, relatively well behaved. So uh, I think if, if the Fed was submarining the economy, if the Fed was going to uh, you know, break, break something, we're, it's not showing up in credit spreads right now. That orange line, I think, is particularly important. Those are your triple C rated uh, credits. Those are the ones that are most prone to defaults. We did see some widening after that uh, SVB situation, but we've seen spreads tighten most of the way uh, back to where they were before SVB, uh, but they are still lower than what the where we started the year with. So again, the, the, the corporate credit markets aren't uh, too concerned about the Fed breaking something yet. So looking at inflation expectations, looking at credit spreads. You know, these are two markets that uh, are showing you know, continued trust in the Fed. The, the last one, and I think this is important for both fixed income and uh, equity investors, is that we're starting to see bond market volatility, treasury market volatility kind of subside, right? So we've talked about how much volatility there is in the, the treasury market, I think on this forum and in other forums, we've seen a lot of big moves in treasury securities it's starting to, to slow down a little bit. And that's good for investors, both again on the, the fixed income side and the equity side. You know, the, the, the bond market, the treasury market is arguably one of the most important bond markets in the world. Uh, so when you start to see types of, you know, these types of moves that we've that we've seen recently out of treasury securities, these 20, 30, 40 basis point moves in a day, that's not something that, that we're used to in the fixed income market. So we're we're starting to see more measured moves in a lot of these treasury securities. That, uh, so we do think that that's a that's a positive, and that does uh, provide more confidence again that the Fed uh, is is going to frankly win the war against inflation without potentially submarining the economy. Yeah, to me, it's just about uncertainty, right? As uncertainty um, comes down and people just get more confidence in the outlook, that can support higher stock valuations. So you should see. Stocks do well as as the move index that measures bond market volatility comes down. Um, so good good message there. And then you know we've also talked in recent uh, podcasts about how lower rates translates into higher price to earnings ratios for stocks. Right, that relationship over time is actually pretty consistent. So uh, you know there's a lot of reasons for you know stock investors to follow the bond market, uh, especially now. So thanks for that, Lawrence. Um, good, good topic. We'll um, just really quickly preview the week ahead. It's about earnings more than anything else uh, this week, but we do have um, a couple of data points that are going to be um, interesting to pay attention to. It's not really a data point. The Fed base book, right? The all the districts report on economic conditions uh, in their areas. It's kind of a look at Main Street, so that's always interesting. And I think what investors should watch for there is um, whether tightening financial conditions and bank stress uh, have translated into, uh, you know, sort of impact on businesses, right? Not being able to get the credit that they need um, and uh, kind of slowing down, maybe hiring fewer workers, those, that sort of commentary, right? To gauge just how much of a slowdown we've had, because we've, 
you know, Lawrence, everybody says that there's a lag to interest rate increases, right? Um, Fed tightening, some people think has a lag of a year, right? So we're really, we, you know, the rate hiking campaign started a year ago. We're really just now starting to feel it. I think we're going to start to see uh, small businesses that, you know, comment a lot about the conditions in their areas uh, in the uh, in the base book. They're, they're going to start to to feel some pain. It's not just about banks. It's probably going to be about small businesses across a number of industries uh, starting to feel that. Now that might not necessarily mean that the Fed does not hike in May, but certainly it's going to cause the Fed to be a little bit more careful. I think. Yeah, for sure. And that's the message that these Federal Reserve uh, presidents from these various regions are going to bring to the committee in first of May, and they're going to talk through the the, the various uh, financial conditions within their regions, and they're going to come together and make a decision on on rate increase or or no rate increase. Our, our expectation is rate increase twenty five another twenty five basis points to take the upper level to five point two five percent, but that could be it. And as you know, as we just talked about on the the move index. That's one of the reasons why we're starting to see that interest rate volatility come down because we are getting closer to the the end of this uh, this rate hiking campaign. One of the most aggressive rate hiking campaigns in in 40 years. So I think we'll we'll all be happy when this uh, rate hiking campaign comes to an end. Yeah, many people are probably uh, tired of talking Fed. No offense to, to you, Lawrence, or any of the other bond strategists out there, <laughs> but uh, I think I've had enough Fed talk. Uh, to last me a while, and I'm I'm ready to just focus on, uh, you know, economic growth, uh, earnings, um, yeah, and, and and certainly interest rates in general, market-based interest rates, not as much about the Fed and monetary policy and quantitative tightening and all these things. We'll eventually move past all that and um, can kind of settle into something more normal, we'll say. But um, it's it's going to take some time. It's not like you flip a switch uh, on uh, May second or May third and 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 everything's great. <laughs> right? yeah. Far far from it. I think that's when the meeting is. Far from it, but um we'll we'll get there. It's just um gonna gonna take uh take some more time. You're not gonna like this then. There's a there's scheduled eight Fed speakers this week. So a lot of Fed speak this week uh as as well. It's a quite quiet calendar week for economic data, but a pretty busy week for Fed speak. Well that's that's fine for now. <laughs> that's fine for now. But hopefully they can move to the <laughs> to the background uh, after uh, the, the, this cycle ends. How about that? Uh, the only other uh, data point on here that I thought was interesting, I mean, we know the housing market's slowing. And so the housing data will get some attention. But the leading economic index is one of these leading indicators that people are, um, you know, are watching because it signals recession. And it's still signaling recession. Uh, and it almost certainly will be down uh, again, just like the yield curve. Um, we're just hoping that this is a very mild and short-lived recession, or somehow we we muddle through because inflation falls fast enough. Those are probably the, uh, you know, we would say the most likely uh, scenarios. But that one will get some attention just because of all the um, uh, recession fears uh, that are that are out there. It's going to take if we're going to come into recession, it's going to take a little bit more time uh, to get there. So. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna end with with kind of a cool stat here, Lawrence. The other thing that um, is happening this week is it's it's tax deadline, right? Tax day. So hopefully you you've got your taxes done or you're really close. Um, here's another cool stat from um, from Bespoke. The week after the tax deadline has actually been very bullish. So 
you know, if, if we scared some of you out there with, with talk of recession, stay with me because we're going to get you back. Over the last 25 years, median S&P 500 performance on the week following tax deadline day has been a gain of 0.83% with positive returns 76% of the time. Those are excellent numbers. I don't know how to explain that. People pay their taxes and then they make the stock market go up. This one surprised me, but that is very bullish. What do you think, Lawrence? Can you can you explain that one? Well, maybe it's the individuals that are getting tax refunds and uh, they're investing their, their money in a diversified asset allocation portfolio, uh, uh, perhaps, or you know, maybe even uh, managed by the LPL research team. That would be ideal. That would be. How about that? You might you might be onto something there. I I've always um, you know paid my taxes late and haven't gotten refunds uh, before April fifteenth. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, maybe for some people that is indeed what's happening. That's actually potentially moving up the X date for the debt ceiling, right? If we don't get a lot of tax dollars into the federal government, then the X date moves up and the debt ceiling deadline uh, comes sooner. It's still probably not until July, but it's it's coming. So we'll we'll probably fill a, a couple of podcasts with, uh, with some details on that situation. We don't need to worry about that right now, but it's coming. So I guess we ended on a mixed note, positive and negative in there for you, uh, related to tax date. But um, we do expect the deadline or the uh, debt ceiling to be to be raised. It'll just probably go down to the last minute. Uh, like it always does, unfortunately. So uh, we'll go ahead and stop there. Thank you, Lawrence, for for joining. Good good discussion. Uh, certainly a lot of topics uh, to cover. Thank you to all of our listeners and viewers for turning in. Uh, we will be with you uh, next week, of course, as always, for another edition of LPL Market Signals. Take care, everybody. This material was provided by LPL Financial, is for general information only, and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. There is no assurance that the views or strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Any economic forecasts set forth in the podcast may not develop as predicted and are subject to change. References to markets, asset classes, and sectors are generally regarding the corresponding market index. All indexes are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Index performance is not indicative of the performance of any investment. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and broker-dealer Member FINRA and SIPC insurance products are offered through LPL or its licensed affiliates. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered investment advisor that is not an LPL affiliate, please note LPL makes no representation with respect to such entity. If your financial professional is located at a bank or credit union, please note that the bank or credit union is not registered as a broker-dealer or investment advisor. These products and services are being offered through LPL or its affiliates, which are separate entities from and not affiliates of the bank or credit union. Securities insurance offered through LPL or its affiliates are not insured by the FDIC or NCUA or any government agency, not bank or credit union guaranteed, not bank or credit union deposit or obligations, and may lose value.